what's up? Ha! This is the You're Not Listening to This Podcast. And I'm Will James. You have to pardon my uh, my voice this... Uh, whatever, I'm not going to put a time limit on it. Because I don't do these very regularly. As you've probably noticed. Um, but I am trying to overcome a cold and an ear infection all at the same time <clears throat> while uh, putting in, you know, a nice solid 60 weeks at the, 60 weeks, 60 hours at the office. Uh, two kids, wife, keeping everybody happy and, pl- really? While I'm recording, son? Oh, hold on. Hello? Hello? Well, I don't want to talk to you either. Alright, what's up? So anyway, uh, this was... Look, alright? I just explained. I'm busy sometimes. Uh, so, whatever. I'm going to give you that New Year's uh, podcast now, even though it is basically March. I don't care, because my New Year's resolution was to do these more often. <laughs> Failing, sure, uh, but whatever. Uh, so, uh, New Year's resolutions, everyone fails at them all the time. I would imagine, you know. Uh, I've never done very well with them at all, but I've stuck to them the last few years, and so I want to try to keep it going. And I had several this year, I, like two years ago. Uh, you know, I woke up and realized I was uh, not healthy, so uh, I took up running. Um, I didn't go very far, you know, I worked up to like a 5k or something, but I ran, uh, probably ran probably, I ran a 5k every day, you know, of the week for a very long time. Uh, I got kind of obsessed with it, uh, to lose weight and get in shape. And that worked. And then the next year I bought a bike, uh, a fixed gear bike. Cause I'm that guy that does weird things like that and buys things because other people have them sometimes. I try not to do it too often, but when it seems kind of cool, I'll get it, and it's awesome. Uh, so I did that last year, and then this year, in addition to podcasting more, which I'm doing so lovely at, uh, I've decided to read one book a month, because uh, I don't read <laughs> that much anyway. Uh, I do now. And I've actually done really well with it because I've stopped being a snob about it. And I will uh, use a Kindle and uh, Audible books from time to time and that kind of deal. Uh, recently, though, when I first started doing this this year, I read two books. And I read... Um, one book was written by an atheist, which I'm explaining that he's an atheist because it's, it's relative to the conversation. It doesn't matter. Uh, but it was about how we could dramatically improve our experiences in the society around us simply by telling the truth where people tend to lie. You know, it was like this acute and persuasive explanation of why thou shalt not lie is an ultimate truth but from a person who I assume would not believe in such things. Or at least, I mean, in the in the way I mean the term. I'm not sure. Uh, but I thought it was really interesting, especially contrasted to the other book I read, uh, which was called Erasing Hell. Uh, it's by, I forget his name, something Chan, I think. Uh, he's a Christian minister, and it's about the realness and inevitability of hell. 
because, quote, uh, we cannot afford to be wrong on this issue. Now, the book states that it's not about arguments or doctrine or being right. It's about the character of God, showing you the true character of God. And, you know, after reading it, I've got to admit, uh, I saw a lot more of God's character in Sam Harris's book, the atheist book, in his reasoning, um, which is, that's the only reason I brought up that he's an atheist. But the book is actually, the uh, Erasing Hell book is a rebuttal to Rob Bell's Love Wins. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Rob Bell or not, but um, that book caused quite a controversy whenever it came out. I guess it's when he wrote the book. But anyway, I think he lost his church or something uh, because the book argued for a universal reconciliation, um, which which means that regardless of what happens in your life, at the, at the end of time, ultimately, God, Jesus, will uh, save all of mankind and condemn no one to hell. And ultimately, love wins, hence the name of the book. This was controversial, as it doesn't seem to fit with biblical narrative as we know it. Yet, um, Rob Bell does base a lot of his ideas, at least in some good proportion, on scripture. Now, I'm not sure if Rob Bell actually declares universal reconciliation um, as gospel or not. Or if he even says it's actually going to happen. I haven't even read the book. I've read, I haven't read it for actually a very specific reason um, that I am not ready to discuss with you yet. <laughs> uh, but I have read a couple of his other books. Uh, one was called What We Talk About When We Talk About God and The Zimzum of Love. And from those books, it seems like Rob typically presents a lot of information uh, without making any real declarations uh, just leads you to a place, you know, but regardless, an inference is probably there. Uh, so Erasing Hell was written as a desperate plea with those who consumed loved wins to understand the portions of scripture that Rob Bell ignored or the rest of the sentences in which uh, the scriptures Rob Bell used where it would indicate that hell is real. It is real, and you should do anything you can to avoid going there. That's the message of the book. And honestly, in terms of research into dialect, uh, cultural context, ancient languages, all that good stuff, Erasing Hell is a pretty solid book. It acknowledged portions of scripture that are unclear or seemingly contradictory uh, if one or the other isn't a metaphor. Um, it, it, it acknowledged valid interpretive issues of the types of hells and the duration of hell. And it was pretty thorough is what I'm trying to say. Nothing I hadn't heard or known before necessarily, but I'm a, it's something I've looked into a bit. <laughs> no, my problem with the book was not what was in it really, but what the book was offering to show me, you know, contrary to the intention there was plenty of argument and doctrine. It didn't adhere to a particular Christian denominational sex doctrine, as, for instance, uh, the death equals sleep and hell's a literal fire, but it hasn't started yet and won't actually last for eternity, like I was raised to believe it was represented in the book. But also the equally probable uh, the dead spirits live on now, whether in hell or not, which may or may not be a literal fire or may represent eternal separation from the divine being horrifically tormented. I mean, you know, whatever you believe, all of it's in there. 
um, and the verses that back those thoughts up. Uh, There was also plenty of religious dogma in there, um, but where it said it was not about being right, it was definitely about Rob Bell being wrong, you know, Uh, which is fine. I mean, that's fine. Again, you write the book you want to write. My issue is essentially an error in marketing, but I'm going to harp on it anyway. Even even though the authors themselves describe the book as a rebuttal of the to universal reconciliation, and particularly as described by Rob Bell in his book, they say the purpose is to show me the character of God. But in showing me the character of God, I couldn't help but notice the author's frequent repetition of the phrase, I don't want to believe this, but I have to. Let me explain. I'm a, I'm a words guy. Diction. You know, this will change how you interact with me in person should we ever interact. But I, I don't just listen to what people say. I deeply inspect the words that they say and what they use. It's an annoying characteristic, um, but it's on high alert if you've offered yourself out to me as an author especially as a pastor (laughs) you've told me to expect you to mean what you've said so when you say i don't want to believe this but i have to about the character of god we've ventured into a dangerous realm if you don't want to believe something about god are you sure the thing that you believe is right i mean really sure now before okay I'm not talking about the existence or non-existence of hell anymore. That was the part of the book. I'm talking about God's character. I'm saying anything. If God is not the God you want, why are you bothering believing in him? Fear of punishment? Is that free will? Is it? I mean, fear is effective, but it's not lasting. And since not enough people are saying it, fear was never God's intention ever, period, and there's nothing to argue about. If you don't believe me on that point, you're just playing wrong and you got to deal with it. And I don't want to hear any quotes about the fear God stuff from the Bible because you know that original wording is talking about a reverence and an honor, not poop your pants fear as we've come to know it. Fear is defined as an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. That's not how I see God. It's not how you should see God. (laughs) Uh, It is, however, a lens through which I now see religion. And right now, I'm not a big fan. And look, religion by itself is dangerous, period. Now, obviously, we have seen that in dramatic global sense, uh, from crusades to the slave trade, uh, Israel-Palestine conflicts and radical Islam. But it can be dangerous at home and it can be dangerous in our minds, too. Religion is only beneficial when properly combined with a true, real, personal relationship with the divine. Now, this is problematic, as I've come to learn that many religious people don't seek a personal relationship with God because they don't think you can have one. They, they, they seek personal change through an ethic, maybe. They believe in God, sure. But relationship? Now, religion's man-made. 
useful, it's necessary to begin to understand the great mystery. But it's man-made. Even if its origins and texts are divinely inspired, the result is man-made. And mankind is weak, weakened with <gasps> fear. Anything built on a weak foundation will ultimately crumble on top of itself. I actually think that's in the Bible somewhere about building the house on sand, but it will ultimately become unrecognizable from its original form. Now, we typically view the crumbling of something as happening instantly, like when we demolish uh, a building to make way for, hey, a parking lot or whatever. But imagine something eroding over time, little by little, hardly noticeable. However, should no one ever remove those ruins, eventually the ruins themselves become the attraction. Like when we imagine traveling, do you imagine going to see the Colosseum like, and, and, and standing there thinking about what it used to look like? Or do you just admire what's left? Or do we, do we miss the Sphinx nose? And people are drawn to the ruins without regard to the origin. And I consider many aspects of religion to be in ruins. And since we cannot afford to be wrong on this issue... I believe one must develop a personal relationship with God. Seek it out. Sit with it. Breathe it in. Trust it. Developing this relationship may cause a need to break with your religion because your religion may have poisoned the connotation of the language it uses. See, I believe you have to unburden yourself with the things you think you know and go find answers, find new terms and new language. That's why I've been saying the divine, the great mystery, not because I have an issue with God, but I know that some people listening to this might. And when you have been burned on God, look, look, there's this anecdote I heard um, from a guy, his name is Ty Gibson. He preaches this series, it's called Reimagining God. It's on uh, YouTube. You should check it out, actually. Uh, but I heard him tell this anecdote at some point in time. I believe it's in the first of those series of sermons. And he, he said, or talks, really. But he says that, uh, you know, a, a person came up to him and said he didn't believe in God or she didn't believe in God. And he thought, about how many times people always get defensive for God and start saying, how can you not believe in God? Whatever, you know. Uh, and he thought, well, why don't you believe in God? Could you tell me what it is? Because I probably don't believe in that God either. Uh, his point being that we only have so many words and everyone uses God, that word, for all kinds of things. Horrible beliefs horrible actions and we don't know what's happened to other people that that say that they don't believe in it and you probably wouldn't believe in that god either and so we've ruined the meaning of words like church christian god sin hell and we've taken the gospel and all of its wonderful life-giving brilliance and we've relegated it to basically afterlife insurance if i can steal something from uh who said that is that p holmes Anyway, do you, do you remember that nationwide insurance Super Bowl commercial? 
the one with the kid saying all the things he didn't get to do because he lost his life in an accident in his house and the TV fell on him or he electrocuted himself in the bathtub or whatever was going on. The one everyone was complaining about because of how depressing it was. You know, before we were worrying about whether or not black people did black stuff. Some people were outraged that such an advertising campaign was launched during a sporting event of that magnitude. Some people vowed to absolutely never use nationwide insurance anymore or in the future. I was pretty ticked off myself. Nationwide itself said the purpose of the commercial wasn't to sell insurance. It was about starting a conversation, a conversation about the sad fact that preventable injuries around the home are the leading cause of childhood deaths in America. Sure, but as advertisers, as much as as anyone should know, optics are everything. You paid millions of dollars and put your name on a message about death of the most precious members of our society, at least as we look at them. And, oh yeah, we can help you with that, by the way. So, I find it interesting that many of us were all on the same page in thinking that the fear of death of yourself or your loved ones is not a good selling point. It's not a great message. Yet so many of us have been sold the message, the good news, in the exact same fashion. Afterlife insurance. So why do we take these things and hold on to them so tightly? Is it out of love or is it out of fear? I can't answer that question for you, but when I was found myself presented with it, I answered fear. It didn't take very long, so I acted accordingly. See, if you don't know, I, um, I was raised Seventh-day Adventist in the Bible Belt. Now, there's nothing wrong with those two things by themselves or together. But if you don't know what that means, let me sum it up briefly and ineloquently as follows. Seventh-day Adventists, that is the denomination with one of the strictest views of scripture and the most literality in the part of the country where the infallibility of the Bible is the most idolized. A.K.A. in church talk, I was raised to carry the heaviest yoke in a part of the world where size matters. We have a literal interpretation of Genesis. Life and the earth as we know it was created in six 24-hour days. That first day was maybe 10,000 years ago, maybe not even as long as 6,000 years. And any science that speaks to the contrary is false in the work of Satan. We keep the true Sabbath being Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. And no, we do not roll on Shomer Shabbos. I was raised on the Levitical LNG white diet, which was basically vegan before there was vegan and definitely before vegan was cool. Oddly, at no point did it have anything to do with the mistreatment of animals. Uh, but no movie theaters, no jewelry, abstinence till marriage. I could listen to some secular music, but if I was going to play it on the piano or whatever or sing it gospel only, I was an usher, a choir boy, pianist, soloist, preaching sermons at 15 full-fledged deacon by 17 but here's the thing that kind of religious practice inevitably creates a hierarchy when you're raised in it you notice the things that you do that the world around you doesn't you notice the things that you don't do and refrain from that everyone else around you is experiencing you build okay hold on i'm saying you a lot let me bring it down i built 
a sense of worth based on my moral performance and my moral monkness. What I was doing was right. And if you weren't doing it too, inevitably that meant you were wrong. Your faith wasn't as strong as mine. Your denomination or your church gets out of service at 12 for real. We're there till like four in the afternoon and then we eat some and come back at six until the sun sets and then, you know, do whatever we were doing before it set on Friday. Oh, hold on. I sidetracked myself with the troop there for a second. But the, the point is, it can go one of two ways. You can be very cocky about it um, or you can try to be humble about it, but it creates a weird situation. I tried to go the humble route. But the next thing you know, you're the most humble person you know. And you can't be braggy about being humble. It doesn't make any sense. The point is, it all becomes about self. You start earning it more. You become more worthy, more deserving. Because of what you're doing. And nothing about that is any part of the gospel, any part of Christianity or being saved. That's not the denomination's part, fault. I'm just saying that's how that was an environment I grew up in. And that's where I ended up going. But that yoke I was talking about, it gets heavy and you drop it. You drop it a lot. And then that leads to guilt. And that guilt starts to mount because we can't afford to be wrong about this issue. Right. So let me explain what happened to me. A few years ago, two years ago or so, a couple of Julys ago, um, I got a little tired of feeling guilty about dropping that thing. And I started feeling like I was a real problem. Now, see, I'm a logical person, okay? I like logic, reason, common sense. If I can't find the logic in something, then I don't even see why it's an issue, why you would ever do it. And so, in that sense, I've always thought of suicide as illogical. I don't know if it is or not for anyone else. I'm just not, I'm not trying to pass any judgment here. When, I'm, when I looked at the act itself from my perspective, it just didn't make any sense. You know, I, I have a loving family, a loving wife, great kid. I had one more on the way. Had a decent job, great friends. I was going to church every week, following the rules. I was trying to walk the walk. I even know who Jeroboam is. Do you know who Jeroboam is? That's a deep pull, son. I just, I, I can't ever imagine things getting so dark that I would just turn away from all of that. I don't know why I always framed it like that. Turn away from all of that. But I, I think it was just my weird way of being PC about something I just didn't, I couldn't understand. I didn't, I didn't even inwardly say I thought it was selfish. Because I knew that that word is a fire starter. But one day I heard of a story of this guy who seemed really similar to me. I mean, we had basically the same life. Uh, and he committed suicide. And I thought, how could he just turn away from all of that? You know, just didn't make sense. Logically speaking, that he should have been happy. What was his problem? And then I didn't get it. And as time went along somewhere, somehow I did. And one night I had a knife to my wrist because I was afraid I was losing myself and I was 
risking my family's ultimate happiness and salvation by being in the way. I felt like I was such a disappointment from dropping that yoke to God that my family would, would be more presentable to him without me. I remember the logic reel starting to play in my mind, you know, thoughts racing to convince me that I needed to needed to be alive. You know, what about your wife and kids? Well, I'm not I'm not who she married anymore. Anyway, that's what I was thinking at the time. You know, I'm not I'm not making her laugh anymore. I'm not sweet to her. I'm brooding. I'm silent. I'm rageful, malicious, I'm mean. Not all the time, and maybe not even most of the time, but probably enough to have been a mistake. Financially, you know, I'd probably put her in a bind. (laughs) That's probably not strong enough wording. Uh, I mean, life insurance doesn't cover it, and I didn't have any of it at the time anyway. Uh, uh, We have some, had some money in savings, some equity in the house. She could sell it and move, but... She could move to a smaller house back in her hometown. She can work from anywhere. Her parents can look after her. This will give her a disconnected reason to be angry with me. I think that's better. If she misses me, that'll hurt. But if she's angry, it'll hurt less, you know? So much of this will make her angry. If she's angry, she can move on. She can find someone new that won't break her heart like I am. It's the rest of her life with me. Or the rest of her life with the next guy. You know, it might work out better. Now, Caitlin wasn't alive yet. Uh, and I'm trying to be fully open and honest, if that's not obvious here. Uh, but the things I thought about how I justified not being around for her, I can't even start to repeat. Uh, it's too raw still. Um for me to even let myself remember, honestly, I love Caitlin so much. Uh, if I hadn't met her, yeah, whatever. Uh, my son, he will undoubtedly would have been better off in life if he grows up with his real father in his life, obviously, and and in his and his home. But only if that father is a good husband to his mother. And I don't want him to grow up thinking that this, this me, isn't okay and normal. He doesn't really know what's going on. He's so young. He can probably tell, though. Well, you know, he definitely knows. He, 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 he walks up to me. He taps me on the leg. And he looks me in the eye with this curious look. And he says, smile, Daddy. He sees it. He, he feels it. And sometimes when you get a little liquor in you, not enough food, you can hear it. And... Hell, these days you don't even need to use the excuse of scotch. Happens anyway. So he already knows. You're already framing his view. He he already sees you aren't quite what you should be. You're supposed to be his example. And his example. You know, he learns about men, fathers, husbands. You're how he learns about God. You doing a good job, buddy? <laughs> He's only three. If you're gone soon, he'll barely remember you. Like this, anyway. What he does remember will probably be the better things. His mom will make sure of that. That's who she is. 
He can build his idea from there. And his mom is so wonderful and lovely and smart and instinctive. The next guy she finds will will be what, what I should be. I have a thing for should be's. Nah, a little man will be okay. Losing his dad, you know, that's going to be tough, but he'll be okay. At some point, my mind, you know, it finally went blank. Ran out of arguments. Logically, there was reason to believe three of them, individually and collectively, could be better off without me. I'd reasoned it out. If I'm the head of the home, the spiritual leader, and I'm going sideways... I should just get out of the way. It's a common sense conclusion. Well, maybe I should do it. And then there was this one last thought. You know, Trip won't be okay. Because he's going to find you. See, Trip's my son. He looks like his mom. He's my son. He doesn't sleep. <laughs> he stays up late and he gets up early. And I used to complain about how early my son would wake up. You know, I'd get up and get my quiet morning cup of coffee. That's my nirvana. I still could use a few more minutes than he gives me, but uh, it truly is the reason I'm alive. You see, we meet each other every morning while mom is asleep, beautifully, heavily asleep. Exactly where I was sitting when I had the knife on my wrist. It's not that he might have found me. He would definitely have found me. And that's something he would have never gotten past. So I couldn't do it. And that's the first time I've ever told anyone that story, except for my wife. Um, and I should say, uh, I was very upset with myself, since the fog has now cleared, for being able to work my mind past my wife and the kids so easily. Not to mention, I didn't even think about anybody else. <laughs> um, and if you could see my wife's face when I told her this story and how much it hurt. Uh, anyway, uh, so I decided not to. But that didn't solve the problem. I had a real problem. Because I still wanted to. I just couldn't do it that way. <laughs> and then I had one more thought. Um... But I heard this thought, which is different than thinking a thought. And I don't know if you know what that means. Uh, and I'm not going to even bother trying to explain it. But I was thinking, why am I even dealing with this thing? Why am I dealing with this thing? This God thing. School has told me it's probably not real. Let it go. I said, no television movies it all says it's not real let it go i say no the world tells you to let it go i say no and i heard a thought you should let it go because the god you're holding on to almost got you killed i've heard that voice before and it is not mine I know that is difficult to believe, and many will not believe me. I also know that there is a name for this phenomenon, I don't remember what it's called, and that it can be scientifically explained. What I do know is it's not mine. But I believe in that moment on the couch, 
out of the ether. The God told me I was wrong about him. Which means I was wrong about me. And so I started over and I remember what it felt like. It felt like it felt it felt like standing in the middle of the world, not knowing you have a string tied around your waist. And then you get yanked up into space. And there's nothing around you. It's just you and space and the string. And all that's connecting you is that one thought. I know you're there. I've always known it because you've talked to me before, but you just definitely just did. I know you're there. And I remembered another sermon where a guy was going through a similar issue or understanding that people do. And he's mentioned, he said, God is like, God is like a, a Thanksgiving dinner table. You have the table set with all the fixings and the silverware and the napkins and the glasses and the water and the wine and the tea and the turkey and the potatoes and the yams and the greens and the fried bread and all that good stuff. And it's all on the table and you walk up to the table and it's there. The problem is you didn't make anything. You didn't put anything on that table. It was handed to you. So you don't know what's really on that table. And you don't know how to provide a Thanksgiving dinner until you do it yourself with nothing. So you have to go back to the blank table. God. All we know truly from John is God is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. This is the character of God. This is now all I know for sure. And when I come along things that don't fit with that, that's not going on my table. Now that's led to a lot of study and intense breaking down of everything I've ever thought (laughs) Uh, and backing it up in something I can look. The Bible is a beautiful book uh, that can be read in so many ways and Every verse 
has its own context for when it was written, when it happened, if it's telling a story in the past, what it can tell you now. Uh, it's a window. It's a window. You see the divine through it. You see the progression of humanity through it, from barbarism to civilization. Uh, it's marvelous. Um, and I've had a great new appreciation for it um, and all kinds of other literature and beliefs uh, from all over the world. And that's actually why I started this podcast in the first place, was to chronicle that journey and tell people about it. So if you want to hear more, you'll have to keep listening. That's all I've got for tonight. So uh, send me a tweet or something. What's the thing for this? I think it's Will D. Jam. I've got to work on that. Uh, hit us up at Will and I don't know. Who cares? I'll just talk to you next time. And as always, I love you though I don't know you. Thanks for listening to You Are Not Listening to This. Now, some BJ the Chicago Kid. But I got church in the morning, church in the morning. Hopefully we can go to heaven. I pray. Hopefully we can go to heaven.